Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another Libertarian Christian Roundtable, where we discuss the latest news and events going on around the world. And because this is the, you know, we have an upcoming election that's like the most important election in our lifetimes, really. I mean, this time it's really true. This time, uh, for we, sure. We we have to have Mike Meharry on. He literally wrote the owner's manual to the Constitution. And so he's joining us to talk about Supreme Court vacancy that is now left by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And because Carrie is now demonstrating the attire of the future justices of the Supreme Court, she's with us. And of course, we have Matthew Bellis, who is making sure that the Supreme Court keeps the Governor Wolf in check or something like that. Or or maybe that's what he's hoping for. Supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. That's how how it all works. So the latest news is, of course, has to be COVID related. So Matt, I'm going to let you share with us the most recent COVID related news. There's a devastating epidemic, uh, Doug, and I'm not talking about COVID in itself. I'm talking, as you all may know, super pigs. North America faced with a time bomb of millions of super pigs. Do these super pigs have superpowers? Time bomb. Yes and no. Uh, No, because it's not like they can fly. Or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but it is just their their vast sheer numbers. I mean, look at the tracts of land by which these these super pigs take over. I mean, it's Why ridiculous. Why are they called super then? Look at their faces. How Aww, could you not look at them and so say, cute. that's not super? All I, I mean, see is bacon. I was going to say, what what that's happens when the time are, bomb goes I don't off? see what the problem is here. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, those, those animals convert vegetables to bacon. I mean, what else do we... Right? <laughs> this this will handle our food shortage from COVID. What are this we afraid well, of? Mr. Mayor told the Daily Beast, it's a scary situation. And everything Crazy. that's happened in what I call the pig bomb. The pig bomb. <laughs> the pig bomb. <laughs> this Bacon may be everywhere. The, this may be the best thing in 2020. Might be, Don't worry. Might be. Don't oh worry. <sighs> if we get not another animal that can put little feet on the ground quicker than a wild pig. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> if we get a swine flu to help knock out all the pigs, that'll uh, this this is not better. Babylon B. No, no, no. Oh this my gosh. This, this is from uh the actual like this is from a re- reputable news source. Uh where where was it? Some some British uh paper. That's hilarious. Because you know, Britain always says North America. Whenever they're trying to say the U.S., because uh, Canada is really just a suburb of America, so right, yeah. Anyway, okay. So that th- that's, that's the that. COVID news of the day. Well, the other COVID news of the day is you know people singing in public, getting arrested. People who want to go yeah. see their kids play football games, uh, getting tased, tased because they're not wearing uh, masks. Those are minor inconveniences to the real crisis. Mm. Big bomb. Big. <laughs> the big bomb with little big feet. Bomb. And uh, that's it for my segment. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate that because the rest of this is going to be super serious Um, (sighs) because we never keep it. We're never humorous on this show. I'm Uh, wearing gray because (laughs) I mourn. Because you mourn. You're also blocking our logo. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, there we go. Good. Good work. 
All right. So Carrie, please tell us. So we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And what's yep. what's interesting to me, I just somebody pointed out to us on Facebook was that the all of the headlines are saying that it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat that needs <laughs> to be filled. It's like, ah, maybe not quite mm. her seat. I don't think she and Gravy. They took the nameplate off, is they, all I'm yeah, that's, I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. I understand it's shorthand. I understand that, you know, a headline article is shorter because of it, et cetera. It's not her seat. Uh, yeah. So I don't know who it belongs to. I don't know what the best way, you know, Mike, you could probably an- analyze like what's the best way to describe the vacancy seat and so forth. But let's let's talk about the career contributions, Carrie, with respect to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because it sounds like if you really assess her from a as unbiased a position as you can, and you're not just like, oh, she was appointed by you know, that evil man, Bill Clinton, then, mm-hmm. you know, she's not exactly the most evil person in the world. Yeah, well, you know, all the headlines on both sides, quite frankly, are trying to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's contribution to the abortion question. Mm-hmm. And, but that's not the only thing she did. I mean, in her career, uh, before she got to the Supreme Court, she actually, she worked for the, the ACLU and she pushed for you know, these cases that did actually go before the Supreme Court that allowed women the right to contract, which is, you know, obviously something very important to libertarianism, which is, you know, the ability to make agreements and things like that. Women couldn't take out loans. They couldn't have bank accounts in their own name. They couldn't have mortgages. They they couldn't sign lease agreements uh, without male co-signers on these things. And so, you know, she did work towards making it possible for women to have the right to contract. And, you know, so I think that that's worth pointing out from a libertarian perspective. Now, I mean, women, what era was that? What era was that in? Like the, women are rather seven, unscrupulous. The 70s. Saying. So before uh, the 70s, you, women had to have <laughs> before the 70s, women had to have a male co-signer. Yeah. So, yeah, they had okay. to have a male co-signer on those right? things. Yeah, yeah okay. that's right. Making sure. Really? So, but... Yeah, but so some of the other things that she did was she opposed removing the le- the legal liabilities for vaccine manufacturing companies. So mm-hmm. lots of people still don't know this, but uh, it's starting to become more widely understood that pharmaceutical companies are held liable for medications that they manufacture that end up causing mm-hmm. uh, harm, yeah. but... The Supreme Court uh, ruled in favor of removing those legal liabilities so that they could just, you know, create those those vaccines without threat of lawsuit from consumers. So Ginsburg opposed that. Wow. And Ginsburg also opposed warrantless searches. So, and that's probably... Wait, she, op- she opposed the, uh, the immunity for pharmaceutical companies? Yeah, she opposed. Oh, she opposed the, it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now she was in. She was in the. Uh, as I understand it, she was. She was dissenting, so she wasn't in the majority opinion. Her side there. didn't win. Her side didn't uh, win, but she also opposed warrantless searches, and she did strike down. She was part of a majority opinion that struck down drug testing for women against their knowledge and consent. So during the era of this was right after the drug war started when everybody was worried about crack babies, you had hospitals who were testing pregnant women without their knowledge or consent for drugs. And if they came back positive, they immediately turned those women over to the police. Ah. So Hmm. at any rate, I would say, you know, she did have some contributions that I think were were notable at least. Um, I don't think we need to go, you know, 
praising her career and things like that. But this <laughs> makes the segue into what her actual uh, contributions yeah. were considering abortion, because that's also overplayed quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I want to get to the abortion thing in a second, but I, I, this might also be a good way to sort of start the rest of our conversation with with asking Mike, how important is the Supreme Court and how important eh, constitutionally should the Supreme Court be? And it yeah. sounds like the two are probably very different. So I don't right. know what sort of worth. I'm sure you could go on for hours, but, you know, well, in a few I, minutes, tell I us the truth. I think a good way to kind of to kind of parse it out is to look at this, the vaccine case that Carrie mentioned. From a libertarian frame of reference, yeah, that that seems like a good a good ruling. But the truth of the matter is, we don't know whether it's a good ruling or not. And and I think the problem that we have with the Supreme Court today is that we look at it as a policy making body, mm-hmm. and a court was never intended to be a policy making body. So we can't really say whether or not her opinion on that vaccine case was good or bad unless we read the statute that Congress wrote and evaluate what that statute says, because the court's job is to evaluate the statute. And, you know, she says that, uh, in, in her opinion, that the statute did not support liability for these companies or taking away liability for these companies. Uh, but the majority of the court felt like the statute read differently. Well, I can't say one way or the other because I haven't read the statute. But this demonstrates the problem that we have today with the court. People view it as a policy-making body. She she did this policy. She did that policy. That's mm-hmm. not the Supreme Court's job. The Supreme right. Court's right. job is to look at a case and determine that case based on the law. And the right. law is, number one, the Constitution. Number two, the, the statute is uh, written I'm by... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Number one, the Lord. Just, just. <laughs> Well... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Matthew. I got to make things awkward. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, to answer your question more directly, the framers of the, or the, uh, during the ratification debates, the argument was that the court would be the weakest of all three branches of the government. Uh, Alexander Hamilton wrote an entire essay in The Federalist talking about the fact that the court would be relatively uh, relatively powerless. It would be just deciding cases. And, and we now have a, a situation where the court has effectively become the lawmaking body in the United States, where it's mm-hmm. dictating minute policy at the local level. Mm-hmm. Why do you and think I don't that think, is, though? Why, why do I think that is? Yeah. Because people like it that way. Yeah. yeah. People like it. They they like being able to. There's this this sense that if we can just control five judges, then we mm. can basically have yeah. our policy imposed yeah. across the entire. United but States. is it how the Congress writes the laws that it allows for that type of interpretive power, or is it just because as humans we have a little bit of a of an authority bias that we want to uh, give power over to individuals or oligarchies? I mean. Where, where does that individually, or where does that line up? I'm just trying to find that that portion of it out. Well, I, you know, I, personally, I think it has to do with with just the the dynamics of how government has changed over the last. I mean, there's always been this jockeying for power among the the Congress and the president and the uh, and and the courts, and then you can look at the states and local. I mean, there's always power. Anytime there's power. People with power want more power, and they want to fight over you know who gets to have the most power. And, and it just so happens that the nature of the court has allowed it to accumulate the most power. Uh, for one thing, you can't get rid of them; they're not accountable to anybody. Uh, and and for for another thing, uh, in in many cases, Congress 
uh, which is supposed to be the most powerful uh, branch of the government, Congress has usurped its responsibility because yeah. it can pass things off and say, oh, well, oh, you know, we can't do anything here because the court said, and, and they can shift responsibility. And, and they've mm-hmm. shifted a lot of responsibility to yeah. the executive branch. So now we effectively have an elected king uh, and an oligarchy of judges who uh, effectively dictate policy for 320 million Americans. And I quite frankly think that's a really bad system of government. I think it's sure. horrible. You know, if you just look at the the hue and cry that we have right now, we have this one vacant seat on the Supreme Court, whoever it may belong to. And everybody is like, I mean, there, there are people that, that literally, you know, they've taken it to the hyperbole level of this is life or death. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not a good system when yeah. an yeah. unelected, unaccountable lawyer who is really just a government employee has mm-hmm. this much power over right. uh, over any group of people. Yep, totally agree. Yeah. Well, I yeah. So thanks, Mike. I I always appreciate your thoughts on like the outrage. Like you you bring up the proper amount of outrage and analysis <laughs> as to what's happening. He's this um, Louis C.K. Black of uh, of or no <laughs> no Louis C.K. No Louis Louis Black Louis Black uh, of libertarians. Yes. Yeah, that I am. went down like an airplane. Jeez. Uh, yes. <laughs> Matthew, I'm personally offended by that. Don't apologize, <laughs> Matthew. Your father-in-law should be <laughs> yeah. offended by that. <laughs> I, was this thank, kind of thank, thankfully he's not. Yeah, I'll tell you off, I'll tell you off air, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of things that we should be offended by, Carrie, what yeah. is Ruth Bader Ginsburg record on abortion? So this is the interesting thing, right? Because everybody thinks that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is somehow responsible for illegal abortion. And she actually only was involved in one, two, three, four, four abortion cases, only one of which was a landmark case. No, five cases. The landmark case that she was involved in was Sternberg versus Carhartt, otherwise known as Carhartt One. And basically what this case did was it struck down a Nevada statute that criminalized partial birth abortion. Now, she was one of two democratically or democratic appointees. The other two justices that ruled in favor along with her were Stevens, O'Connor, and Souter. But... Carhartt was actually overturned later with Gonzalez versus Carhartt, which was, it's known as Carhartt too. So her major contribution, like her landmark ruling has been already overturned and that, that uh, Carhartt too made partial birth abortion illegal again. I'm going to show the um, deck on this. Yeah, go ahead. This is an absolutely amazing table. Uh, Carrie. It really is. Seriously. Thank you. Yeah. So, so yeah, we have we have Gonzalez versus Carhartt, and basically what that did. So, the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act, which which was uh, enacted in 2003 under George W. Bush, that was that was passed as a response to Carhartt One, and so of course they expected uh, for there to be legal challenges. And the, the, the interesting thing about this case, and I think that we'll get into this more in the next segment, but I want to point this out. The reason why the partial birth abortion ban act was upheld was not because we suddenly had pro-life justices on the Supreme court, although you did have, uh, Thomas Scalia and Kennedy all ruling 
in favor of this. This was a Republican-appointed majority who ruled on this. But the, the rationale for this was that Roe v. Wade and the other landmark case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which upheld Roe, both of which actually banned partial birth abortion. It was partial birth abortion is, is not legal under Roe or Casey. And Carhartt one was significant because that was a deviation from the precedent set with Roe v. Wade and Casey. So all Carhartt II was doing was reaffirming Roe v. Wade and the fact that partial birth abortion should not be uh, legal under it. Yeah, that was one of those things that we had talked about before, and it really was kind of a, you know, darned if you do, darned if you don't type of thing, where no decision on that is really good. And so you really, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I'm looking at the record, and really you can't hang your hat of all abortion all the time solely on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, this you is really kind of can't. mind-blowing, frankly. Yeah. I, I mean, let, let me just show this the, this uh, deck again, because, uh, Carrie, you created this, and honestly, it does a fantastic job at going through the uh, the cases by which abortion was an issue. And you look at this, and this is, what, 24 cases? 24 cases. Three of which were under Democrat-controlled benches. One was was an equal outcome. And the rest are all Republican benches, which I would think a lot of people would find very fascinating to realize that a lot of the cases that decided the issue of abortion were done by Republican, Republican appointments. I mean, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, is, and actually if you, I've, I've got the, the cases sorted out according to the landmark cases and uh, what I call self-inflicted wounds, which I can explain in a minute. But basically if you look at all of the cases from Roe v. Wade up to the Obama era, all of them were decided on by a Republican appointed majority. We've had a a quote-unquote conservative court for, what is that, three decades? Three decades. Mm, yeah. And these are cases that are not just affirming Roe. What they are doing is, I mean, you have Doe versus Bolton, which was decided at the same time as Roe. It was a, a, a companion case. Doe versus Bolton, what that did was basically said that it took the definition of the woman's health and broadened it to basically anything possible. Like if it, if a woman's emotional health could be right. damaged by carrying the baby. Yeah, expansive uh, definition of health. Right. She, she could have the abortion after viability. So this is what Roe v. Wade did. Okay, Roe v. Wade said that there was a right to abort that was protected by the Due Process Clause and the 14th Amendment. Now, what the court said about Roe is that the 14th Amendment doesn't give limitations on the right to abort, obviously, because it doesn't mention the right to abort. So the Supreme Court in Roe said that it was their responsibility to set those boundaries. And this is part of the major problem with Roe v. Wade, because we like to talk about the, the fact that Roe v. Wade acknowledges a woman's bodily autonomy. And so it talks about a woman's liberty interest and, and access to abortion and things like that. But her liberty interest is subject first to state interest. 
And so the state may be interested in protecting potential the potential life of the fetus, in which case they can restrict abortion. But the state may be interested in the health of the woman, in which case they can actually create mandates about how a woman can make choices during her pregnancy, which, which is to take away her, her bodily autonomy. And this is a quote from the case. They say, we therefore conclude that the right to abort is not unqualified and must be considered against, get this, important state interests in regulation. So this is the thing about Roe. Roe is not about a woman's bodily autonomy. That is secondary because uh, her bodily autonomy is subject first to state interest. Literally this, secondary to state interest. Yes, wow. literally. Yeah. Um, wow. And they have an interest in regulating abortion. So this is a Republican. So uh, the justices that decided this were uh, Blackman, Berger, Douglas, Brennan, Stewart, Marshall, and Powell. And of those guys, only Douglas and Marshall were Democrat uh, appointees. Wow. Can I make some legal points? Yes, please. That, do. That, I, that I think that are, are, will be germane going forward the conversation. Um, the first point I think is really important for people to understand and why the proclivities of a justice that's coming on the court today doesn't matter nearly as much as people think it does, mm -hmm. is that precedent in the mind of a Supreme Court justice no. is almost at the level of the Constitution itself. Yep. You will almost never have a court reverse a landmark precedent. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any landmark precedents that have that have been reversed off the top of my head. Obviously, I haven't read every Supreme Court case that ever has yeah. been, but by and large, precedent is considered, and there are actually Supreme Court opinions where they elevate the uh, the jurisprudence of the of the court to the level of constitution. So when people say, "Well, we're going to get this one judge in there and they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade," highly unlikely because they are going to follow precedent. Yeah. And and this is why I say, you know, just in general, when people get so wrapped up in who the next Supreme Court justice, or I'm told that this is the most important election of my lifetime because this person will control the who's on the Supreme Court. Right. A lot of these things, it's not it's not going to change anything because the precedent has right. been set and they're not yeah. going to return right. it. I think that's the yeah. that's the first. Mike, let, yeah. me, let me ask you about the the thing that you brought up here. I don't mean to step on you, Carrie, but I just it, it it pains me because the the thing that we keep hearing about the the courts and the appointments and the voting and all this stuff and the thing that conservative or libertarian people who are pro-life would always hear was that we need these appointments so that we could have more pro-life policies and that if any case comes up, we can go towards a pro-life agenda. But the record shows that that's not the case. No. And we're no, looking at, at, but, and that's the thing, but if people say, well, the other side, is that what you're saying? Well, no, because I know given the chance they would further it in any way possible. Yeah. But I'm just looking so, at this and saying, you're, what do we do here? Yeah. So <laughs> here. Let, me, let, me, let me point something else out to you because you're, you're, you are absolutely right about this. And Mike is also absolutely correct. And I want to talk about Casey for a minute because Casey was another landmark case. Well, can I make, can I make one more point just, and then, yeah. and then I'll shut up. Just, he did address okay. Mike this, for the question is, anyway, Carrie. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. no, no, right. I, I think this is important too, because where this went off the rails was yeah. in the very first case. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't remember what that is, but this was even before Roe v. Wade, where they established Griswold. this, 
where they established this idea that somehow abortion was attached to this idea of due process. It's absolutely ludicrous. This whole idea of substantive due process is something that the court made up out of thin air. There is no basis for it. It was just a way that they could empower themselves to make all of these decisions, not just on abortion, but on all kinds of things. Due process, it was very clear in the constitutional language in both the original constitution and the 14th Amendment that due process, all that that means is that before the government can do something to you, it has to take you through the process. Mm -hmm. It's basically a legal, uh, it's a legal idea. It's the Mm -hmm. idea that you can't, they can't throw you in jail without allowing you to have a trial. That's what due process is. Due process has nothing to do with abortion. So they've taken this, this idea of substantive due process, and they've used it as a tool to basically allow the court to nudge its nose into everything in the world at the state and local level that it should have never had any business in. The federal government has no constitutional authority to be involved in abortion at all, period, end of story. Yeah. This should have always been a state and local issue. I know people say, well, it still would have been, might have been awful. It's probably true. But I guarantee you, if it was decentralized, we would have at least some states with with much more restriction on abortion than we have today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's basically my spiel on, on the courts and abortion. They shouldn't be involved in it. Now they are. Yeah. So that leads to a lot of questions of, of how do we move forward. But um, right. you know, I, I think it is important. You know, if nothing else, I think people should understand the original Constitution, if for no other reason, to understand just how far this government is off the mm-hmm. rails of what was intended. Yep. Well, disembodied head of Kerry, what do we do? My <laughs> <I> disembodied. <laughs> That that's justice, Carrie. More like your She's elbow is disembodied. My oh, yeah. oh it oh, sure yeah. is. Okay, <laughs> sorry. So I want to I want to read some notes. So I actually I came to this this uh, revelation about uh, Roe and and Casey when I was studying uh, Walter Block's papers uh, in preparation for my debate with him in New York, and I want to point out something that he talks about because uh, he summarizes the Casey case pretty well, and so this is what he says about Casey. He says, the judge's concerns, or what the, what the court was concerned with in Casey, because there was a question about overturning Roe with Casey, um, but the concern was that men and women had become accustomed to the existence of legal abortion and had organized their relationships according to access to abortion. And so their concern with overturning Roe was specifically that people had become accustomed to having access to abortion. Good grief. They also said that a woman's participation in society was dependent upon access to abortion. And they said overturning Roe would come at a great cost for people who have adopted thinking and lifestyles on the basis of access to abortion. So basically what they said in Casey was, even if we're wrong, people are used to it. And so we have to keep going with it. And then they also said overruling Roe, which was contrary to precedent, contrary to stereo decisis, would weaken the court's authority to exercise judicial power and function as the Supreme Court of the land. Uh, They said that the court's authority depends on its reputation, and that would uh, result in a great loss of confidence and unnecessarily damage the court's reputation. So this is very interesting, especially in light of Mike's comments about how the Supreme Court was supposed to be the weakest branch of government, their ruling with Roe isn't just about abortion. It's about their own reputation and power to continue on 
with the power that they currently have. So it's about every other case as well. Mm. I mean, that argument there is is compelling, but I would say the argument about people's lives continuing in the way that it has been with Roe v. Wade uh, is very true. Let's just hope a uh, global pandemic doesn't uh, upend everyone's lives and we have to shut everything down. So that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that wouldn't happen. No, that wouldn't happen. That not at all. Let's not again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is, it's called the Supreme Court for a reason. So, I mean, it there's is, sour yeah, cream right. on top. Because they're supreme. Because yeah. there's sour oh. cream on top. No, nope, yeah. that's not it. That's just Taco Bell. Everything's supreme with with sour cream. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it's all a, the it's topic. a regular taco. Then they put sour cream in it. Now it's Taco Supreme. <laughs> now okay. comparing the, the comparing the Supreme Court to Taco Bell is a completely apropos analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it all it, it, in the end, it has the same results. <laughs> <laughs> all just comes out. So, oh my! So, anyways, yeah, I, the Mike idea. Mike didn't know what he was getting himself into. <laughs> he didn't. So, yeah, that you have these two landmark cases, which were again, and Casey was decided by an all Republican court. Like, by the way, there is a there was a Democrat appointee who was very consistently pro-life in his record, which was Byron White. But at any rate, now those are the two landmark hmm. cases. I had mentioned the uh, self-inflicted wound cases, uh, and that's that's my term. But you have a number of cases where well, let me back up for a minute. When you think of conservative pro-lifers and, and their activism and what they're trying to do, you are thinking about things like putting restrictions on, on access for like teens or allowing canvassers to go protest at clinics and trying to establish waiting periods and things like that, trying to put these, these smaller barriers in the way in order to discourage a woman from getting an abortion. And so this is the other problem with all of these cases is you have a series of smaller cases, which I have listed here. I can't, I don't think I can go through all of them, but a lot of them also ruled upon by Republican appointed yeah. uh, justices, yeah. which include like you had um, Belotti versus Beard, they said that teens don't have to secure parental consent to obtain abortion. This was this was Rehnquist, Brennan, Blackman, Stewart, Powell, and Berger. Those were all Republican appointees. And it follows it follows from the logic that they've built on this from the 1970s. You know, I yeah. mean, the whole the whole thing is built on. That's the way the, the legal system is built on blocks. You put one block on top of another. Yeah. And they're not going to knock out one of these bottom blocks. So they're, you're just, it's going to keep going forever. Y'all want to yeah. know a dirty little secret? Yeah. Congress Ooh. could solve this problem. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Congress, yeah. Has the, Congress has the authority to basically terminate jurisdiction on a given issue. So Congress could actually ju- v- vote, pass a bill, and say abortion cases are no longer the purview of the court. Wow. And we'd be done with it. In fact, Ron Paul introduced such a bill on a number of occasions when he was congressman. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Wow. So if we just elect a majority of Republicans. There, that's the answer. <laughs> you found it, Doug. Re- you know, yes, you I just it. figured out the solution to everything. That would be the second important election. It would be the second thing that they did after they got rid of uh, Obamacare. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's so okay, so there's one more case that I want to point out. Clearly you you don't watch TV, like Right. You know. <laughs> there's one more case I want to point out which was uh Webster versus Reproductive Health Services, 
where the United States Solicitor General actually advised the court to overrule Roe with this with this one, and they did not. Oh my word! Rehnquist, <laughs> Kennedy, O'Connor, and Scalia. So Scalia was oh. supposed to be the the, the yeah. major the pro rock. life. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You have yeah. to you have to understand what Roe was about. Roe was about controlling women's bodily autonomy because it was secondary to state interest mm. and regulating abortion. Wow. It was the state yeah. owns you. However bad you. those are, I, I do have to say the worst of them all is City of Akron versus Akron Center for Reproductive Health. I mean, who's with me? Let's let's just end Akron. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> well, like we're nuking the whole city. Is that yeah, what we're just doing? done? Well, we don't need we're to just done with them. We're just, we're just <laughs> ignore it. You know, Goodbye, the Akron, they, Ohio. Where are you going to get know. your tires? We'll do it the way the UN ignores like Singapore. We're not Singapore. But Taiwan. <laughs> Taiwan. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So okay, I want I want to play devil's advocate here and yeah. and give. So we have this list. Pull this list up, right? So you have them labeled red and blue because they are Republican appointed and Democrat mm-hmm. appointed, right? It's more uh, like, like a pink and and uh, sky yeah. blue. This this is this is a proxy for and and this does definitively sort of disprove the we need a Republican in office to, to nominate Republican appointed judge. That it does do that. However, in the interest of the nom, you know, understanding the nuance of the nominating process, uh, you can leave it up as however long you want. But in the interest of leaving, of uh, uh, thinking about the nominating process, right? A president is going to nominate something, some something, somebody <laughs> that is going to appeal at least to some of the dissenters of like, you know, the opposition party, right? And so yeah. the argument could be made that we just need a strong president who's just not gonna take oh, any BS from man. it. So he's just gonna he's just gonna do it. Right. Right? Right. right. No, no, Rise no, of the strong like, man. It's it's a little bit of like, so the table doesn't tell the whole picture. It yeah. tells the picture mm-hmm. of who was who was appointed by or yeah. were they appointed by whom? But it doesn't yeah. mean that those people were like right or left, right, no. or right or left, or however right. it works here. Um, but it does give us. I mean, it's so can't, can't tell us everything. And so, couldn't it mm. be said that like, well, some of these people are actually like pretty decent judges, even though they were actually you know appointed by Democrats. Well, yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I've I've already pointed out that Byron White was had had the most pro life voting record. You know, when and when he was he, appointed by and he was appointed by the Democrats. Okay. So, yeah. In fact, somebody had even pointed out to me on Twitter that there were a number of the court justices on the ruling of Roe who had been appointed by you know Republicans. They were just simply liberal in in their ideas. They, you know, they had these. They weren't genuine conservatives, and that's true. I mean, there's there's no reason to believe that some of these justices didn't, you know, weren't genuine conservatives. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the point, right? Is yeah. Republicans will nominate who they think they can get on the bench, uh, given the current political climate. So yeah. even Trump. You know, Trump could, let's just assume for the sake of argument that Trump is the most pro-life Republican president we've ever had. Um, he's, I know, snicker, snicker. I wouldn't um, doubt it. Um, I, I he do. would still, he would still have to, he would still have to name an appointee that would get through the process. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because- John F. Kennedy, by the way, Byron White was appointed by John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, there you go. If you're looking at things from, yeah. from a libertarian lens- 
libertarian ideas don't necessarily line up with Republicans or Democrats. So you end up with the situation as a libertarian. I look at some of these, some of these folks and I look at a, at a Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There were some things she was very good on. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was very good on the fourth amendment. Uh, Kavanaugh, who Trump uh, nominated, he's horrible on the fourth amendment. Yeah. Um, Look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the, uh, the, the, things that she did in terms of, of contract that Carrie mentioned at the beginning. That's probably one of the few cases ever that, you know, actually properly applies the 14th Amendment and what the privileges and immunities in the 14th Amendment were meant to protect contract was mm-hmm. among this. So she was very good on that. Uh, she's not good on abortion. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's from, from a libertarian standpoint, it's very difficult to look at any of these folks and say, oh, they're great or all oh, they're horrible yeah. because yeah, they're, right. they're all a mixed bag because, yeah. uh, you know, Democrats nor Republicans really, uh, line up with libertarianism. A lot of well, that, that Mike, that's just because libertarians in the way that we think are just idolaters. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, yeah of course. I mean, <laughs> duh. Well, so Carrie, I just have one last question. So the, yeah. the Roe v. Wade was a, was decided by a Republican appointed majority. Is that correct? Yes, that's okay. correct. And that was in the seventies. Yeah. Um, but I would just venture to sort of snarkily suggest that this was before they found Jesus in the eighties, right? The Republican <laughs> Party, they yeah. found Jesus or Reagan or I, you know, according to them, yeah. apparently it's the same. But they found, <laughs> you know. The, the right yeah. way, right? So they became the moral majority, and now you know if you don't vote Republican Shirt as a Christian, you you're just, yeah, you know I have harsh words. Um, yeah. Jesus had harsh words for Pharisees. Why can't I, I have not, harsh I'm words for people? I'm not discounting. I'm not discounting. You right, know, right. just I'm just sure saying. Now you're calling here. yourself Jesus. I, I don't think that's a wise thing to do. No, I'm just saying I'm imitating him. Oh, okay. um, no, I really, I, I'm just no, going to okay. go. I'm right. just going to go at it here. So uh, <laughs> my fight is not with you, Matthew. Our our fight is with someone who doesn't understand our movement and continues to (laughs) perpetuate. Oh, he makes me. Here's the thing, though. He makes me sad because there are things about him that I do like and that I can take and appreciate, but then just goes and makes complete categorical and absolute errors. And uh, yeah, and he keeps bringing it. Al, what the hell are you doing, buddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need, we need. Look, who are we talking about? Uh, Al Mohler. Uh, is who we're talking about the president of the Southern Baptist. Hey, you guys want to, you want to know how to fix abortion real quick first? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes, please. Here, here's the 10th amendment. Here's the 10th (laughs) amendment center strategy on dealing with unconstitutional and overreaching Supreme court decisions. Ignore them. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm dead. I'm dead serious. We need to have some States with the wherewithal to pass whatever legislation that they deem deem appropriate and then ask the court, the Supreme court can, I mean, Abraham Lincoln actually made this comment and Abraham Lincoln's not one of my favorite uh, figures. Sorry, Republicans, but you know, he made the, the, uh, the oh, statement that courts made its opinion. Now let them enforce it. They, so, have, they have no ability to, enforce I, I love it. the most powerful legal argument that you have. Mike is ignore it. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> well, the, it's, it's the Rosa Parks strategy. Just yeah. saying, you know, that's interesting that you I do say not this, Mike. Consent. Right. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you bring that up because, like, the first partial birth abortion ban was at the state level and it was struck down by Carhartt One. Uh oh. We lost Uh-oh. Doug. I'm here. I'm right. We're good. We're good. Okay. Doug's, Doug's battery's exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting it's exhausted. Past its We're way over time on this episode, by the way. Yeah. So when. 
when you have when you have a a court that strikes down a state law, I mean, I'm assuming you're saying that that's outside their jurisdiction, but that state just, you know, goes and says, oh, well, the Supreme Court said no. That's basically what happens, and it doesn't have to. That's why yeah. I think we just have an an, a, an innate authority bias that we all just want to look at somebody who is yeah. above us mm-hmm. and say, well, you got to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Mike, your answer is that we need to empower state governments more. And, no, and, Mike's, and Mike's we, answer is meh. <laughs> here's, here's the actual thing. And this will this, jab you a little bit. I'm about to offend about <laughs> probably two thirds of your audience. But good. for, for goodness sake, have the guts of the weed people. The who? The, right, weed people, the weed people, the marijuana weed. people. Oh, I tell, oh, yeah. I tell I the gun rights people this all the time. You not, guys not have no guts Shyamalan compared movie. to compared to the marijuana people. The marijuana people yeah. have effectively nullified federal marijuana prohibition. There's 33 yeah. states that have legalized marijuana in some way, and yet the federal government still swears up and down that it's it's illegal across the country. That is true. It is true. Mm. Yeah. It's a terribly persuasive argument. So you say yeah. we'd be better off if we ignored it. We need to wrap this up by taking on Al Mohler because that was like a whole segment. And then we had to it go was back, going to be a whole segment. We got to go back this. to legal meh. So um, <laughs> <laughs> legal meh and smoking. Legal meh. Yeah, that should be our that should be our catchphrase. Legal meh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like you're saying legal meth. True, oh, yeah, but it's the first thing but, I thought of, Mike, when he said that. But we all get together at 421. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, gosh. go ahead, Doug. I'm sorry. I don't even know where to go. Al Moeller. Yes, Al Moeller. We were talking about Al Moeller, and we're not trying to pick fights here. I may. Okay. We're not. There's a, a lot of misunderstandings out there about libertarianism. Lots. And Lots. from some people who are Christians who seem to have the time and ability to understand what we believe. I mean, it's not like there's a whole website out there dedicated to propagating what exactly libertarian Christians believe. If right. only. If only there was if only there were a website that that did that, then Al Mohler could read it and say, Oh, <laughs> this is what they believe. Oh, oh, well, I disagree, but shouldn't use this, 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 this in this argument against them. Um, so the thing of the day isn't like, oh, we're just randomly picking on Al Mohler. It has to do with the abortion content. So yeah. Terry, I, this is one of those things where it's like, we, we've talked about this already sort of like as a stream throughout this entire episode uh, or string of videos here is that there's this big shiny red button that the Republicans tend to use. And it's like, yeah. the it's the single issue vote thing, right? And so it's like the single most important election of our lifetime yeah. because of this one thing. It's coming at you in yeah. November. And guess what? What Dang happens it, if that's... <laughs> Matt, I just noticed. I'm looking at the camera. Uh, and like what happens, and it's not the camera that's on. I'm not even looking at the right camera right now. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if that's gone? Yeah. They, they take that away. Nah. Well, what I, are what people are rally we, around? Yeah. What are big people going to rally I mean, around? That, the GOP will what, collapse. It won't get any votes. That's the, partially got George Bush involved, or at least elected in uh, in 2000. It was a lot of those single issue voters that was utilized by uh, what's his name uh, that uh, got people out of the woodwork to say, oh, "Yeah, thank you." Yeah. If you if you uh, elect uh, Al uh, Al Jolson, not Al Jolson. Uh, <laughs> what's his name? Al Gore. Al Gore. 
why am I so bad on names? It's like 1030 at night. Anyway, if you Carl like that, Rose, a tough name to remember 20 years all ago, these single days. issues aren't going to go your way. So you need to get a Republican in there so that we can get Republican judges and Republican and other things so that we can yeah. live a, a yeah. better, happier, healthier life and look at what we've got. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is, this is something that, that really, you know, when I was, when I was researching these court cases and even going back through a lot of Al Mueller stuff, I mean, I, I, I gotta say Al Mueller, uh, and he just recently did a talk at a Ligonier conference just last year where he's talking about these court cases. He's talking about Roe, he's Mm. talking about Doe, he's talking about Griswold. He knows, he was in, he said he was in the chambers for Casey. So he knows Mm. He knows all of this rationale, mm-hmm. and yet he like is he's the seen one. The, something like your table, just not your table. Sure, so just, yeah. yeah. He, so he knows. He knows what I know. <laughs> he knows what I've figured mm. out. And he and he's sitting here saying, I mean, not only that, like in 2016, he he said, "I'm not voting for Trump," but now he's saying uh, that Christians, as a manner of of stewardship of, you know, stewardship of, of the Christian worldview and uh-huh. traditional culture and things like that, we have to vote for Trump. We have to vote for a Republican. We have to get that, that seat filled by a conservative. And, you know, I went back and I listened to Mueller's debate with Norman Horn uh, from the Julie Rose show. And he said, he said something really interesting and I, I wrote it down and I want to quote it because Go for I it. feel like we need to hold him to this. Whoever's editing this, put some, uh, some long haul reverb on this next uh, uh, phrase. Right. Go ahead, Carrie. Got it. Go ahead. Okay. He says, I wouldn't want anything to do with holding to a position that is unclear and not absolutely certain that an unborn human being is indeed to be protected and aggression against an unborn human being is of a matter of grievous moral consequence. He goes on, that to me is exactly where we understand the whole idea of Christian libertarianism breaks down. It's associating itself with a political movement that at the very least is uncertain as to whether an unborn human being is actually a human being that deserves protection and also non-aggression. So in the 60s, he wouldn't have voted Republican then. What? I, he, I, but, I don't understand this. But because the record. The record. That's the record, right. Al. The record. You're hanging your hat on something that doesn't exist. You want yeah. it to exist. It yes. doesn't. And it's it's unfortunate, I'm sorry to say, that the only that way that you're going to get rid of this grievous sin in our country is if you start to understand that it is people and it is the individuals who are yeah. going to get yeah. rid of this, yeah. Not, yeah. A, yeah. not a government or, or, or a court system. Okay, I'm done. All right. So yeah, I, I have to say, I find ahead, the whole... Mike. I, f- I find this whole appeal to to the sanctity of life a little thin, considering the Republicans' record of uh, blowing up children in foreign countries. Yeah. I'll just throw that out there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no. No, I think we're on the same page there, for sure. Yeah, we're, we're all <laughs> on figured, the same page there. I figured there. we were. And, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Let, let's at least be generous and say they don't want that directly. 
but by their indirect votes uh, and what they call for, yeah. that's what ends up happening. Right. A lot of a lot of uh, conservative Republican friends and my father and family and other people would say that absolutely. But if you're going to uh, on a long t- on on policy when it comes to governmental processes, if you're going to say look at the unintended consequences of bad government policy, you have to say, well, look at the unintended consequences of bad policy on war. Look at yeah. what doing here it's 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 terrible it's well and here's the other thing because of course i I don't want isis around i don't want that i just don't want yeah anyway here's the other thing qualification okay i get i i I get pegged on by by conservatives who don't like that i'm not morally outraged by abortion like you know al Mohler is morally outraged on abortion and rightly so insofar as it's morally outrageous but that's where these guys stop. They stop with the moral outrage. They just simply say, we want you to be morally outraged by this and we want you to vote Republican because for some reason they, they, they've they persuaded Republicans that that's the way to save the unborn. And you know, moral outrage, number one, is not a sufficient substitute for justice. And number two, it's the lowest form of thinking. And the only way we are going to solve this abortion problem is to critically think about it and critically think about what the causes are and how to actually resolve it. Our moral outrage is going to do nothing. Amen. Wow. Well, I don't, I don't know how I'm morally to, outraged. As, as <laughs> Carrie drifts off into the sands of our hourglass, <laughs> so should we end this episode. <laughs> oh, Thank man. you, everybody, for joining us. And we will, um, yeah, we will also have fun next time. And <laughs> I, this is like, we might even talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg again because there's bound to be more stuff. That's just yeah. going to come up. It's the and, most important yeah. Supreme Court selection of our lifetime. Of yeah, our sure. lives. Yeah. Well, and, right. that, and by, okay, so then by definition, this episode is the most important episode. The most important That's right. episode. You have to watch it. Ever. Boy, I'm glad I'm on this. Yeah. <laughs> Norman <laughs> missed out, man. That's yeah. A, thanks yeah. for joining us, Mike. All right, everybody. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.